You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. Today, we're looking through our range of seeds for the coming growing season. And it's so wonderful to look through this catalogue of gorgeous photography and all the collections and arrangements that me and Sarah do through the year. What are you looking forward to filling the seed tin with at Perch Hill? I'm going to start with something which I've long grown, but what I really love about gardening is that even though you grow varying range of things from one year to the next, something catches your eye and either you suddenly see it in a new light or in my case with this, I picked it and used it, but it's the amaranths. And Mm. we have an amaranth collection in the catalogue this year and They're very much overlooked plants, I think, because they're, of course, foliage rather than flowers. And we all love our flowers, our sort of bloomy blooms. But I was just completely amazed by it this year. We had it in the flower area of the garden, but also in the veg. And what I found is that even for our courses when we were on the road in November, I was able to come back on a Friday and start picking and and a lot of picking on the Sunday to then head off again on Sunday night to start teaching on the Monday. And right into the middle of November, I was able to pick Amaranth Thread Army. And that's what, you know, it's so good because if you grow something and then you see that it's a really hard worker, it just makes you love it more. And not just that, but also the birds were on it all the time because, of course, Amaranth is the quinoa family. And quinoa, as those of you interested in your health and nutrition, is one of the best grains because it's protein rather than carbohydrate. And so for birds, just like for us, amaranths are incredibly good and their seed is incredibly nutritious. And so all the tiny birds from a lot of the different tit family, but also wrens, I also saw feasting on it. So that's why I'm going to grow lots and lots of amaranth this year. Well, I've just looked at a beautiful photo. It looks like a wildflower meadow taken by Jonathan Buckley, as are all the photos in this gorgeous range. It's a new collection, but using two of our classic seeds, self-seeding cut flowers collection, using calendula Indian prints with Echium blue bedder. And I love Echium blue bedder because it's very similar to the wildflower vipers blue gloss, but vipers blue gloss is a biennial. Mm. Echium blue bedder will flower in the same year. And I just love the the contrast of the, the Jaffa orange with the beautiful, in certain lights, it's almost like mother of pearl turquoise blue better. Mm. Um, and you could literally, if you've got an allotment or even, you know, a cattle trough container window box, just sprinkle these seeds in late April and they would germinate without any help at all. Mm. And they would be a feast for bees, but also they're fantastic cut flowers. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be a lovely collection to give someone who was new to gardening or someone who just, you know, has a wild garden full of self-seeders. Yeah. And the more you pick, the longer they go on, the yeah. more they flare. Well, I'm going to stick actually with a mix because my next choice is another new thing, actually, um, which is the Provencal collection. And I think you put this vase together and it, when you bought it in, I remember the the bunch, 
the reason I called it Provençal is it reminded me of that lovely thing of sort of slightly knackered old lime plaster <laughs> yeah. that you see in Provence and all the sort of churches and uh, cafes and that sort of very muted, faded kind of vintage look, which is so trendy at the moment. Mm. And I was just blown away by it. And it's such a lovely, lovely mix. So whether you grow that in five pots there are five varieties in it and five pots next to each other or you have it in five rows in a cutting garden or even you just have it in five clumps going down a really muted border at the front with each of the groups of seedlings i think that's an, an a really beautiful new collection for us very much in the soft and warm palette which you always claim you don't like but you put that together and it's absolutely stunning no oh, thank you yeah it comes into its own more in the vase i think yeah. Um, so lovely. And then um, this year I really want clout and um, character and I didn't grow any sunflowers last year and I really missed them. So I'm definitely going to sow, again, a collection, a new collection, vintage sunflower mix, mm. which has two classics in it, uh, claret and valentine. Uh, valentine being the nicest one for a, a cooked flower, claret being, you know, the most tallest, beautiful saturated dark flower but two new ones which are from uh, the palette you've just mentioned soft and warm but they work really well uh, with the dark tones ruby eclipse and pro cut plum and they're both really beautiful striking they remind me of ice cream that kind of color um mm. coffee ice cream and raspberry sorbet colors but really beautiful and they'll bring in the bees and the butterflies and then of course they become bird food and lovely yeah. character in, in a in a flower bed Great. I love them too. And I'm going to go for something really unfashionable at the moment. And let's hope I can turn the tide on it, which is a carnation. <laughs> and the reason is that, of course, if you get a good carnation, they've got unbelievably powerful fragrance, that sort of heady mix of cloves with a kind of rich, spicy sort of frankincense myrrh sort of overtone. And we did a trial, actually, of uh, five or six in the cutting garden last year. And to be honest, quite a lot of them were a bit disappointing and weren't particularly strong. And not for the look of it necessarily, but really for the perfume, for something to put by your bed. I was blown away by this dianthus called Benina White Striped. And it's one of the caryophyllises. And sorry, I'm getting all Latin-y on you now. But, ugh. The scent of that is absolute knockout. And three, five heads in a bathroom, in a bedroom, down the middle of a dining room table, just, just completely blow away. So I really recommend that. It's perennial, so you it probably won't flare the first year, but it will be there forever. And if you sow it early enough, you actually might get some in the autumn. Well, I'm going to go for something that I didn't think I'd go for, but because I'm looking at the page that you've just spoken from, I'm really taken by this Dianthus uh, Hollandia purple crown. It's, oh, yes. It's not something that I would plant en masse, but the more I look at it, the more it's reminding me of, I can imagine like Queen Victoria holding a bunch of it. Yes. And it reminds me of um, a lot of the, the rare breed chickens that I love so much, the lacing of their feathers. Yes. Um, and as you've just, you know, it's it's related to the carnation, so it's, it should have a really beautiful scent. But um, I'm guessing, yeah, it's a biennial like most all the Sweet Williams are. Yeah. So you would sow it this year between May and July and it would flower next next year. So I'm going to give that a go. I think it looks so incredible, almost like a, an auricular on steroids. Yes, it, it was. Again, we did that in a trial and it's called an auricular eyed um, mm. Sweet William. 
And I, do you know, I really loved it because of its very narrow tonal variation. Yeah. So it's all in the purples, as you can hear from its name, Purple Crown. But so some of them were really almost only purple. Some were really almost only white with just a, a purple um, sort of ring of markings. And some were halfway between. And mm. I really loved that because it meant I could walk down the line and each plant, I could pick a stem from each and just them putting them together. It was immediately really sort of head turning, yeah. but not busy. I loved it. So my next one is an absolute classic that we've grown for years. But rather like I mentioned with the amaranth, sometimes something bowls you over even more. And for me, it's Tagetes Linnaeus. So I'm just writing a, a veg book at the moment to be the companion book to grow your own, not grow your own, a year full of flowers. It's a year full of vegetables. And I've been writing the chapter on companion plants. And we did a trial last year and the year before. And we found without doubt that the most successful plant to keep our greenhouse aphid free, white fly, green fly, etc., was Tagetes. And without doubt, the prettiest of them all with this beautiful, rich mahogany flowers, Tagetes Linnaeus. So Tagetes as, as a family in general, I think are really underestimated, particularly the longer, lankier ones like Linnaeus. But Linnaeus for me at the moment is, is my tip top. Yeah, I love that one too. It's like a, a Tagetes tree. Um, yeah. I love it for its scale. Yeah. And a very good cook, flat, cook vase life too. Yeah. I'm also sticking um, with a classic, but it's one I always forget to sew, the, the scabious black cat. Mm. And uh, we don't sell that as a plug, so I've got to grow it from seed. And I don't think I've ever grown it myself. It's one of those things that's always at Perch Hill and I always pick it when we're doing a photo shoot. So I, I get to enjoy it that way. But I am going to sow the seeds of that because it's such an airy, wonderful plant. Mm. And um, the more you pick it, the more it flowers. And it's one of the favourite flowers of a butterfly and such a beautiful claret, dark, mulberry, scarlet. So definitely going to make sure I sow that this year. Great. And that's a really durable, hardy annual. Mm. So, um, it's a, so I'm going to move on to sweet peas actually now. Mm. And um, I'm going to completely throw... Caution to a wind, <laughs> the wind with my sweet pea selection this year. And the one that I absolutely adored in the aisle of different colours last summer was the Brilliant Bucket Sweet Pea Collection. And that's because we all sort of think of sweet peas as sort of rather muted and pretty and kind of delicate and sort of, I don't know, that I suppose. And I love the gusto of this collection because it's orange and really bright pink and really bright purple. And it was just dazzling. And I absolutely loved it. And of course, as well as that dazzling colour, you've got wonderful perfume. So that's a must have for me in any garden, I'd say. Yeah, that Prince of Orange is an incredible coral. Mm. I'm stopped buying shirts that are that colour though. But yeah, beautiful and long stems too. So that would be good for, for, for the vase. Well, you, you've already got lots of shirts or you... Yeah, I've already got lots of shirts that <laughs> are that colour. Oh yeah, because it's the flamingo, of yeah, course. No, Arthur I've, and I'm, the flamingo. I've got to stop because I've already got about five. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I suppose that Bermuda shirts would be worse, wouldn't they? So <laughs> I'm going traditional with sweet peas because I want scent and I've not grown them. Mm. Um, I did a lot of the Spencers last year. And these are all the the old lovely ones, uh, the Harlequin um, mm. with Match Carner, best scent of all, Lord Nelson, which is that beautiful 
almost navy purple, and then Prince Edward of York, which is a beautiful fuchsia with a back petal, which is more scarlet. And I know they're going to be full of perfume. And I'm going to save the seeds actually this year because um, mm. I like the idea of letting them cross-pollinate and seeing what turns up. Mm. So yeah, excited for those. So in contrast to that floweriness, I'm actually going to go to foliage now. Mm. And I'm afraid I've uh, I've just got to highlight two because oh, I love all of these, <laughs> uh, particularly the grasses. And I'm totally mad keen on Casmanthium latifolium, and that's Cas C-H-A-S. It's sometimes people pronounce it Chasmanthium, but I think correctly it's Casmanthium. I love it, the Northern Oats grass, and it's like a sort of a head of corn that somebody's run over because it's completely flat. And it's so graceful and elegant and it dries brilliantly in the garden. It's really common in America, but um, you just don't see it very often here. And I think it's fabulous in a pot. It's fabulous in a border, sort of dancing away and nodding its heads. And it's really fantastic dried. And a friend of mine lives in America called Deborah Needleman. And um, I remember her sending me a photograph of a friend of hers who had this growing in a pot as a houseplant. And it just looks so cool and, and, and beautiful and airy and graceful. And she also had growing in a pot as a houseplant that dries a Breeza Maxima, the great quaking grass. And it, it just gave me an idea and I've been playing with them ever since. And actually where I am now, we've got a beautiful painting above the fireplace in our bedroom. And it's of a meadow with a cow and a sort of pastoral scene. And I've got all the way along the mantelpiece, Breeza Maxima and Casmanthium sort of merging the dried with the painting behind of the grass. And I love it. It's completely great. And so I keep playing with them. But of course, they'll last a decade if I want them to. They might get rather dusty, but you can blow the dust off with a hairdryer if you want to with dried flowers. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm more and more keen on my drying things. And those are my two favorites at the moment. I am too. I have to stop mine being chucked away though. I have to rescue them out of the green waste bin several times. Have you? Just, yeah. Tidy <laughs> yeah. them up. Um, I'm going to stick with foliage just there quickly. I can't not talk about it, mainly because my, my chickens love it so much. The red millet, yes, um, which is the easiest thing to grow. Either sow it in a seed tray, chuck it in or direct sow it as it's done as a game crop. And it will be a natural bird feeder and look very elegant with your, with your dahlias and your sunflowers. Next door to that is the Panicum Sparkling Fountain. To be honest, I often cheat and have that as a plug because the seed is tiny and mm. it's not as easy to germinate as the, the minutes. But those two I couldn't have a summer without. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to then finish with a couple of edibles, which one just one thing on its own and the next a collection. And then over to you, but then I'm going to finish the whole thing with a, with a recipe. But we had this relatively new runner bean called Aurora growing not only outside in the garden this year, but we actually bought it in and Anita, the vegetable gardener, planted it as an ornamental in the greenhouse. And we had more comments asking us what this amazing coral, soft, apricotty, pinky, beautiful flower was. And people just didn't realize it was just a runner bean. Mm. But of course, in the heat of the greenhouse, it flowered and flowered and flowered its socks off. Uh, with stem end seared, it, it lasts really well in the vase. 
And um, of course, we got the beans into the bargain. So the flowers are edible, so you can scatter them over a salad and you can eat the beans. And the more you pick the flowers, the more you contain the huge production of beans. And of course, that's better because runner beans are at their best eaten really small. So the whole thing was just a bit of a virtuous circle that we were harvesting the flowers as cut flour and as edible flour and also harvesting the beans when they were small. And it was knockout. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful pink, that. My last choice, simply because it was one of my favourite arrangements that we did, um, it's the Melon Bowl collection. Mm. And it's of a zinnia of the, called the Jazzy Mixture. And it's the only zinnia that I've had success with growing, actually. Uh, I grew it when I worked at the Emma Bridgewater factory in Stoke-on-Trent, where it's quite cold. And I remember it doing really well. And I'm going to pair it with the Tajati Strawberry Blonde in mm. quite a, not a massive pot, kind of like um, summer table kind of pot. Yeah. I just think it looks so exotic and um, like a carpet in Marrakesh. Yeah. So that just makes me smile just seeing the photograph. And just so you know, I don't know if you picked it, but that zinnia in our trial had a vase life of three weeks. Oh, good. I look forward to that then. Yeah, incredible. Honestly, we, we kept thinking it must be time to throw that out now. <laughs> but every time we Brilliant. went back to it. It was just still looking okay, so we just kept keeping it. I'm even more excited now then. My final one is actually a vegetable collection. And that's because I think sometimes it's quite nice to just be chosen things for you uh, that are good, reliable varieties. And for lunch, uh, there's nothing I love more than a quick stir fry. Not where it's all stewed and lost its crunch, but when it's done in intense heat And I quite often actually do the vegetables in separate pans so that they don't stew all together and then combine them with a bit of rice. So our seedling collection, which is the classic stir fry, which has got the most fantastic aubergine, which is in fact an Asian aubergine that's been bred for stir fries. So they're called called finger aubergines and they are incredibly quick to cook, unlike the Mediterranean ones, which need slow, long cooking. These cook very, very quickly with intense heat and tenderize very quickly. And then a really lovely, reliable pair of peppers, actually. One slightly got a little tiny bit of heat, but not much. Another with intense sweetness. And that's Frigatello and Marconi Rosso. So they're both Italian varieties. And then to go in that, you've got to have a bit of kale to go in your stir fry and a bit of chard. And those, of course, are prolifically cut and come again. So those would be my sort of final recommendation for things that I'm absolutely definitely, but I am lucky, of course, that last one, I would really recommend the peppers, ideally in a greenhouse or a polytunnel, or at least against the sunny south-facing wall. So not everyone will be able to grow those, but they are wonderful if you do have a greenhouse. Fabulous. Thank you, Arthur. And as part of my resolution, I'm going to give a recipe and the recipe that we had last night that I thought I would just tell you about really quickly, which does include meat, so it's not for the vegetarian. But it's something that I had in a restaurant 30 years ago now, but I still remember the day I had it and I've cooked it ever since. I went home quite often. This is how I discover new favorites is I have something to eat and then I go home and I forensically remake it. And that's exactly what I did here, which is some lean pork mince. No, it doesn't have to be totally lean. There can be a bit of fat in it, but not not too fatty. And I fry that off in intense heat. 
And then I toast some pine nuts and I put them through. And through the rosemary, I put some chopped, through the pork, I put some chopped rosemary. And then through that, I'll then add in some kale and finally some toasted sesame oil. And that is just incredibly, you've got the crunchiness of the pine nuts, the sort of nice green, robust flavor of the kale. And if you've cooked the pork hot enough, that's gone slightly crunchy too with the rosemary. And then you've got that nice nutty taste of the toasted sesame oil. And I just toss that over pasta that I've strained and just put a little bit of olive oil to keep it from sticking. So the olive oil then mixes with the sauce of the pork and rosemary. And the recipe will be in the podcast notes, but it, it literally takes 10 to 15 minutes, not more, from beginning to end as long as your pasta takes, I guess. Uh, So it's a really quick, easy, delicious, nutritious meal. Thanks so much for listening. And next week, I'm going to be interviewing Becky Crowley, who is a great friend of Arthur's and a friend of mine, or a great friend of mine, who... We've both worked with a little bit and visited often at Chatsworth where she used to be the cut flower grower. And then she went off to America to work for the very, very famous, wonderful florist down in Washington State uh, called Florette. And I'm going to be chatting to her about all that she's learned in America and that she's going to bring back here to teach us all. So see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.